<laughs> I was super pumped. I'm not normally a coffee drinker, but today I woke up and surprised <laughs> my wife. It's like I got to get hyped for this, so I drank some coffee, and uh, uh, this was awesome. Yeah, this is a I great just, way to I start, the, start the weekend. Spoken into existence. Then I think back, like, no, I did it. It was hard work, sacrifice, discipline, commitments, big balls, big falls, bigger ups, good intentions. Take a look in the mirror. I'm proud of who looks back. So I stand tall, lace up my J's, grab my book bag, and. All right. Uh, happy Saturday morning. Welcome to episode number one of the Raj and Bubs podcast. We are excited to get this underway. We've been talking about this for what, like it's a year? It's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. Before our <laughs> weddings, and then we got busy, obviously, with all that shit, and uh, we finally got some time now. Subruth, Bubs. <laughs> that Subruth, aka Bubs. Um, Happy to be here. It's super exciting. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of nervous, uh, uh, but really excited to kind of share our stories and uh, just talk about our upbringing. So really pumped about this. Yeah. Dude, Sabri, why don't you, uh, for the listeners that are just getting to know us, tell us a little bit about yourself, man, uh, who you are, where you're from, et cetera, et cetera. For sure. Um, so I was born and raised in the burbs of Chicago, uh, Indian family. I have an older brother. Uh been here my whole life. I went to school in Illinois as well, Uh, but then I did leave after college. I spent some time in Austin, uh, San Francisco, and LA. Then I eventually found myself way back home uh, here in Chicago, where I've been here for, I think now four years since my little escapades around the country, Uh, but happily married. Uh, Happened earlier this year. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit about me to kick things off. Yeah. And to tell you a little bit about myself, I'm the, uh, other, other half of this equation here. Uh, I'm Raj Patel, obviously also a first generation Indian American, uh, born right outside of Chicago. Me and Sabrut met each other through like a religious school called Swadhyay. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may know it as a cult. Some of you may know it as a life-changing philosophy, it's, anywhere in between, but we've known each other for 20 plus years. And look, I think I have a lot, I think both of us have a lot of funny and unique stories and insights about just being first generation, what that's like and our upbringing. But, you know, as a whole, I feel like I had a fairly typical Indian American upbringing in suburban Bloomingdale uh, with my parents, my badada or my grandparents lived with me. I have a little sister. And really, um, you know, kind of grew into the mentality of work hard, play hard, live life to the fullest. And that's kind of brought me to where I am. Um, I'm recently married and otherwise not to be stereotypical, but my life kind of is a stereotype, I guess, from that sense. Uh, My name is fucking Raj Patel, like one of the most common Indian names. I'm a doctor. Uh, So, yeah, unfortunately, I did kind of fall, despite my best efforts, fell into some of the... uh, typical stereotypes that i you know i really hate but thus is life sometimes it's funny can, can we just touch on why we wanted to do this podcast in the first place like what is important about it uh what kind of brought it to fruition and why we think it'll be unique or cool yeah for sure you want to kick it off yeah i mean for me the idea kind of came it started it started taking its roots last year i'd say and i, I don't know if there's one specific event but i feel like there's a lot of 
life things happening to me, so to speak. You know, I was getting married. I had just gotten married that year, was in the process of getting married. Um, you know, I had signed my first job contract. I knew I was moving away to Austin from Chicago after the marriage. So, you know, I was just doing a lot of reflecting on kind of life during that time span. And the more I reflected, the more I realized that we, we have a very unique experience growing up as a whole as a first generation Indian American I think it's a very unique upbringing from kind of the standard prototypical quote-unquote western upbringing and you know honestly when I think about where I am and who I am today especially through that particular lens of being a first gen um, I can attribute a lot of that to that fact in my life that you know I'm a first generation Indian American and I think kind of thinking about those stories, talking about it with you, some friends, I think that's stuff that hopefully will resonate with a lot of other people, but ultimately, you know, create a platform for dialogue about that, because I don't think that's something that we discuss enough, kind of like, all right, this was very unique. And there's a lot that happened during those 20, 30 years that shaped who we are, where we are today. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in addition to that, for me, um, it it seemed like I spent a lot of my life trying to hide the fact uh, that I was Indian and yeah. not, not necessarily like externally saying, hey, like I'm Indian, yeah. come to my gerba. Like I would hide that shit when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now that I'm older and I've had time to think about that, I see the uniqueness in like having a different upbringing. And I think now more than ever in this country, it, it's awesome to highlight our immigrant stories. Um, I think it's super important to lean into that and, and own uh, our uniqueness and our upbringing. Yeah, and that's, that's very true. You know, there was a period of my time when I was growing up where I was just like, yo, I don't want to be the Indian guy. Don't view me like that. You know, I'm trying to hide all this stuff. Like, what are you doing on Friday? I'd be going to a Gerba or something like that. And I'd like shy away. I'm like, nah, I'm just, you know, watching some sports at home, doing some typical, typical things. Nothing out of the norm here, nothing to see. And then, uh, you know, as life grows and you grow, you kind of realize, no, that, you know, all of this is cool and it shapes who we are and where we came, uh, where we ultimately ended up. <laughs> uh, one of, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I, I remember it like I, we both played sports growing up and as a part of sports, you get injured. Yeah. I remember turning my ankle once. Uh, we were playing volleyball, turned my ankle. I, I went home and my mom's like, all right, put some herther on that thing. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and herther is turmeric for those people that don't know, but it's supposed to help with a lot of like swelling. Yeah. So my mom like layered that thing up, wrapped it up. And I legit went to practice the next day with a yellow ass foot with no explanation on why it was yellow. But uh, <laughs> and, and for me, like my parents did the same thing, right? Like multiple na- ankle sprains and they put herther on it. And then I'd go back to like practice for sports. And, you know, I, I didn't know that this was like some weird Indian like <laughs> folks tale medicine that was being applied. So I thought it was just like normal. So I'd go and everyone would be like, yo, what the fuck is happening to your ankle? Why is it yellow? Like, what is this stuff that you have on it? And I was just so confused. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like it's supposed to help with ankle sprains. And I just thought it was a fact of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you know, for this first episode, it's just going to be me and Subroot. We're going to kind of talk about a few things that uh, we think will be unique to share and cool to share with you guys about our upbringing. But in the future, we kind of have this guest list slash wish list of other first generation success stories that we want to get on the podcast and kind of view their upbringing and where they are through that lens and kind of get an idea of what shaped them, how being a first gen, uh, you know, 
first gen upbringing contributed to where they are now. So that's kind of the trajectory and the goal of this podcast, just to tell you that in a nutshell. But, uh, you know, I, I think for all of us first gens, a very important piece of our story is our parents, right? Like hugely influential. They all came, immigrated here at some point in time before we were born, etc. So I think it's uh, I think it's appropriate to kind of touch on them. So, Bubs, I'll, I'll kind of let you start off. You want to tell us a little bit about your mom and your dad, and kind of uh, yeah, anything you want to share? Sure. Uh, it's an awesome story, so I'm excited to excited to share it. Um, so my parents. Uh, actually are not like most typical parents that uh, Indian parents that you hear about. Uh, so back in the 80s, um, social castes, marriages, arranged marriages, um, uh, not necessarily like very popular as it was back in the day, but it was still around. It, it was present. A lot of people went through that stuff when my parents were younger. Um, but my parents were different. They, they, uh, were not a suitable match according to their families. Uh, my mom. So, so I, ele- no. elaborate. Do they like look at the stars, yeah. read their palm lines? Like, <laughs> wh- how is that determined? Elaborate on that. Yeah. Honestly, I think it was the biggest thing was age. Um, so, my mom is actually four years older than my dad. And oh, like, I remember, yeah, yeah. So, like, growing up, it was something that we never really talked about. My dad would act like he's the older one, but like, no, my mom's four years older. Um, they fell in love. Uh, so, my my dad was working. My mom was uh, also working in uh, in Baroda, which is a city in I think Gujarat. I'm not sure about geography, but I I hope it's in Gujarat. Um, Sounds right. Which is a state, say a state in India, um, and. They, they met each other just kind of hanging out after work. Uh, my mom was, I guess, on the market. My dad was just young and up-and-coming engineer working in, in Baroda. Uh, and the story story is they fell in love and went to the parents. And they're like, hey, we want to get married. Uh, there was a lot of red flags. Um, and But they ended up doing what they wanted. Um, they recognized while wedding planning and knowing how stressful that is, having gone through it myself. Um, I can't imagine how it would have been if I didn't have family support while doing it. Um, and I, my parents didn't have that. So they had this wedding in India. Um, they still weren't really uh, accepted by their uh, by their families as a married couple. Yeah. My mom had a sister out in uh, actually Hawaii. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So she, she, uh, she left India early and uh, moved to Chicago went through residency and was doing work out in Hawaii. That's where she, she got a job. Um, so, <laughs> and yeah, it was That's super wild. random, but yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, my mom was like, Hey, you know, like life is going to be tough here. We don't have too much support. Let's go try this thing out in the States. Um, and that's the decision they took so they they hopped on a plane now when they were deciding two cities i still kind of go back and forth and what, and what year different what year was that roughly yeah uh 84 1984 okay. yeah 1984 um and they, they decided chicago over honolulu hawaii because apparently the job market was better in chicago so <laughs> i would have been like a hawaiian baby just chilling on the beach um but we chose cold ass Chicago and that's where they, they decided to plant some seeds. Um, and they, they grew a beautiful family. My brother, uh, my brother was born in 85. 
no, 86. He was born in 86. Uh, and then four years later in the 90s, uh, yours truly, uh, bless this earth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's really cool to kind of dig deep back into that because it was super risky. Like boiling it down to the age, my dad moved across the country when he was 23 years old started a family and by the time he was 27 had his second kid and was thousands of miles away from his family his 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 my my grandparents his parents were still in India they would go back and forth um, but then in the 90s when I came they they moved here permanently um, and uh, then we lived in a joint family <laughs> from there but I think having parents with such a unique story uh, should have like looking back on it, should have made me more open to kind of sharing my journey as I went through it. I, I was the typical Indian kid, didn't really talk too much to my dad about girls. Um, but my mom was a little bit different. I think I'm a mama's boy. Yeah, uh, so like, I, yeah. Uh, so she kind of knew about like the happenings in my life growing up more so than my dad. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that's a little bit about my parents and their journey like thus far. And uh, really, really like look up to to them. Uh, I can't imagine making decisions uh, and sticking with it at the age of twenty three. Yeah, and, and doing something this impressive. I mean, and, contrast and making... contrast that to what we were doing when we were twenty three. Like I was <laughs> in med school in Philly, being a complete shithead, like seventy five percent of the time, no sense of real life responsibility outside of hitting the books. And your your dad, yeah. <laughs> or parents in that time frame, otherwise were moving to a new country, married, starting family planning, which is like unreal, unbelievable at that, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to kind of sum everything up, though, my dad came to America, was a success in his own right, um, and eventually, uh, like sponsored every one of his brothers. So that he has three other brothers. Uh, sponsored their entire families and there was a phase when I was in high school everyone like once they got their green card or whatever they were like processing um, they all moved into our house so there was 19 of us and, and this was like a funny <laughs> period for me because I've known Subru before this right like since our like middle school elementary school years and then there's like a, this kind of couple of year span where like every summer he's like, yo, this is my cousin. I'm like, what do you mean, bro? Like another cousin? Like every couple of months there's another fucking cousin. I'm like, where are these people coming from? And then only like later on did I kind of realize the sequence of events that was taking place. But I was just like kind of uh, shredding water to keep up with the Bundia family tree that just in my eyes was seemingly growing and growing at an exponential rate. Yeah, it was it was awesome, man. Um, I, at the time, I hated it. I lost my bedroom. I had to share a bathroom uh, with someone other than my brother. <laughs> uh, it was tough, but like I guess first world problems. Yeah. Looking back, yeah. back at it, I still remember like the first day my cousins came. One of my cousins specifically, Kano, he uh, he he wore bell bottoms, bro. Like the <laughs> widest fucking bell bottoms this is like sophomore year of high school i was like bro what are you doing like should have left that shit in india but it's like yo i got these made for america like this is like the new style i was like i think this this part of the world missed that message um but uh we got through everything and uh it, it's crazy because that was a big moment in my life and now like i have some really deep relationships with 
all of my cousins, which is uh, super unique because like uh, extended family tend to have drama and, and we've kind of skirted away from that. And I think it's having lived together for that like six, seven months, whereas 19 of us in that house uh, really just gave us a bond that's truly, truly something unique. And I can speak to that too. I, you know, I see I'm a firsthand witness to him and all his cousins and kind of, they have a very unique bond. They're, uh, they're thick as thieves. Some of them ride motorcycles and shit that it's like, a, <laughs> it's like a small gang, except they don't cause too much chaos. They get a couple noise complaints yeah. from their neighbors, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, all right. That's, that's the, I mean, that's a good, uh, good summary of the Pandya clan and, and where we are today. Uh, uh, I'd love to, dive into the patel patel family story yeah uh so let me let me start with my dad i feel like you know let me put it let me put it this way number one my dad's like one of my absolute heroes he has such a incredible story and kind of what he did with his life i'm just constantly amazed by it and remain amazed by it to this day um but with that said you know i think it's a story that probably a lot of first or immigrant parents in general shared so he, he came here in the uh, kind of mid, early to mid 80s. His older brother was already here. So that was the only family he had. But other than that, he really came here um, under that sponsorship visa or whatever that is. Uh, or no, he came under a student visa. He actually, he was going to, he attended college when he first got here. But he came here with next to nothing. And literally this story, uh, he's told me this a few times and it always just cracks me up. He came here with like enough pocket change to last him a couple weeks, right? Like we didn't it, like his parents weren't that wealthy or anything like that. So in American dollars, really just enough to last him a couple weeks. So he's flying here in the 80s and he's at that time he was a smoker. Thankfully he quit shortly after before I was born, etc. So I never kind of grew up with it, but there was a period in time where he, he smoked cigarettes. And for those of you that don't know, before the 90s you were allowed to smoke on airplanes, right? So this guy's sitting on uh, his first flight ever in his life, going from India to Chicago, or sorry, India to New York or Boston. I forget where he landed exactly. He started in the East Coast. But they're coming around with refreshments. Um, and then they ask, you know, with the refreshments, would you like a pack of cigarettes? And my dad, not knowing any better, he thinks like, oh, nice. This is just like American comfort. They give you a refreshment. They give you a pack of cigarettes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so he's like, yeah, he, he takes a pack of cigarettes, doesn't think anything about it. And just like, oh, OK, nice. This is a, this is life in America. Fantastic. Good things to come. <laughs> and then like two minutes later, this lady comes back and then, you know, collects what's due for the pack of cigarettes. And he was like, not only was it converted to U.S. dollars, but on top of that, it's the standard uptick for anything you buy on an airplane or an airport. So he's like, man, I had such a pit in my stomach. That pack of cigarettes cost me what I was about to spend, what I needed to survive for like the next 10 to 14 days of my life. Like legit. I was like just so disheartened and depressed after giving that money for the cigarettes. I was too ashamed to say, he was too ashamed to say like he didn't know any better because, you know, he's, he's very much a man of pride. So he just kind of <laughs> licked his wounds, paid up. And he, and he just says, you know, he was just so disheartened for the rest of the flight. Like it really like messed him up <laughs> knowing that his whole budget was already <laughs> off and he hadn't even touched down. 
That is that is so funny. <laughs> did he did he uh did he savor the that that pack of cigarettes? I'm did sure he, like, he did. I'm sure he made every little cigarette count in that pack, knowing what he had sacrificed for it. So, anyways, he he comes here. He's in the northeast, uh, kind of around the Philly, Bo- no, in the Delaware area. He went to Wesley College, and he studied like. He was a bio major, a molecular bio major, and he finishes that, scraps by, you know, he kind of assimilates to the American culture and gets an understanding of what that's like. But then, so he finishes college and then he starts working in the lab as, uh, you know, with his molecular bio degree. And he's... He, what, was was your uncle already in America at this time? Where was your uncle at while your dad was in school? Yep. He was, uh, he had just moved to Chicago at that time and he had become like a medical device rep. He was selling... Uh, like ventilator home O2 and home ventilation, like home home respiratory supplies actually, and that was his Got initial it. hustle. And I, I can't recall how he exactly fell into that. Like obviously he didn't come to India with that goal in mind, but <laughs> he kind of took what he could get and went with it. So he was he had yeah. moved to Chicago at some point during my dad's college years. Um, okay. So fast forward, my dad's you know working in a lab for a couple months. You know, he's making kind of a meager living as for those of you who don't know, when you're working as a research lab rat, it's not very, it's not a very lucrative field. So he's then, he's kind of doing some math in his head. He's looking at his manager and he's like, okay, let's say I become a manager in two years. This is about, he, he kind of asked his manager, he's like, how much do you make? You know, kind of fishing around, trying to put these, trying to put this numbers in together and do this whole like 10 year equation. So he get kind of gets a sense uh, what the manager's making. He's like, okay, I move into the manager role in a couple of years. And let's say I'm making that salary. Where does that take me in 10 years? So he does all this math and he's like, nah, fuck it. He realizes it's just like, <laughs> not, it's like not what he's trying to set up for. It's not enough for him. And it's like, this is not why I came to America. So he packs up and leaves. He quits the job and he, uh, and he moves to Chicago and then Around that time, him and my um, him and my uncle, my big dad, as I call him, um, they opened up a lick or they bought a liquor store or a convenience store. I apologize, a convenience store in a very like sketch Chicago area. They they tell a lot of stories how that store was frequently robbed and things like that. It was just like a bad neighborhood, but obviously in those neighborhoods, it's a little more affordable. So that was their first thing. So you know that was their first. Uh, that was their kind of their first foray into entrepreneurship and business and then from there he kind of made a living via gas stations car washes a couple other small ventures but you know he he did very well for himself he's one of those definite success stories of coming from nothing grinding hustling by all means and uh and really uh you know giving me everything that i want in my life and uh, you know i've never had to ask for nothing i'll be honest you know I've, i'm very fortunate i've never felt the uh the lack of money or any i've never felt that really despite my mom's best efforts at making me feel like that but kind of the other part of that equation is then my mom right so they they had a un, unlike your parents they had an arranged marriage he got married in india in 1986 and then she came to america with him um, I was born in 89 and as their first child. And then my sister was born in 93. We were both uh, living outside of Chicago at that point. But my, my mom was really kind of, she, man, she is like, if you think of like a traditional Indian woman, wife, daughter-in-law, daughter, like all that, like she, that was her. She was like the consummate wife, consummate daughter, like in the most traditional sense for better or for worse. Like my ba and dada, my grandparents from my dad's side, like lived with us 
almost all of our lives. And for like most of my childhood, you know, food is on the table, three meals a day. My mom is running around with us when we're in school. Um, she's taken us to our sports games. We, me and my sister were both three season athletes. So she really lived to be a mother. And like, that was kind of her, her end all be all man. Like this is three meals a day. Uh, just for those of you who are not aware, an Indian meal is like a Thanksgiving meal in most homes. There's just dishes after dishes after, uh, it's just too much work and three a day. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's like, yeah, it's no. like a three course meal. Like people, it, they get busy in the kitchen for each of these meals. So it's like a full-time job, you know, but, uh, one of the, one of the stories that I always remember growing up, like, this is how obsessed my mom was or crazy she was or whatever word you want to pick, but literally in elementary school, right? She didn't want me to eat the cafeteria food. She didn't want me to maybe dabble in meat or whatever her reasons were. And also she just wanted to provide me like the best possible lunch every day. She would literally bring a home cooked meal for my lunch every day and drop it off right before lunch. Or she'd pick up fast food like one or two days of the week and I'd get like, you know, Taco Bell or some other like veggie McDonald's or something. But every day to the point where like I would go to the office wait for my lunch, get it. I'd come back to my friend's table and it was like this big spectacle. It'd be like an unveiling and all my friends would be like, oh shit. All right, what do we got today? What do we got today? <laughs> and then I'd be cha- I'd be trading around some of my shit for like, you know, some fruit roll-ups or <laughs> Sour Patch Kids or whatever, you know, making our trades or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, you know, my mom, she was unconditional with everything that she did. Like whatever we needed, um, she always went above and beyond for us. So she was just a... a an amazing mother in that sense. But uh, the other side of it, and uh, you know, your parents are probably like this too, is dude, she was mad religious, like mad uh-huh. religious. Like the amount of times that, you know, she's found some obscene pictures, gone through my phone, seen some texts that, you know, probably shook her to her core, surprise check-ins during college, finding all sorts of paraphernalia and bottles. She would sit me down, bring me to like, a, we have a little prayer room in our house, right? You've seen it. It's like a whole room dedicated to um, like uh, statues of gods where she does RD three times a day. Um, and she would sit me down in front of God and then ask me these questions. And I'm like, damn, I can't even lie right now because she she knows. Like I'm, si- I'm sitting in front of God. I got to fess up. I try to put my best spin on it as possible. But... Yeah, man. I've had I've had uh, plenty of those uh, morning afters in front of God. Yeah, uh, because of the parents putting me there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, those were my parents, man. They uh, they they were exceptional parents, and they gave me everything I needed and wanted and more. So you know, they, a lot of great stories from them, being who they are. But uh, as parents, like they were just amazing people. But uh, you know, I, I think we're kind of starting to get into this a little bit about you know some of these stories that are just unique and atypical from you know our caucasian friends or any other non-first generation friends so at at what point did you like start really really noticing like oh okay they're like my my upbringing my the way we live our lives at home is a little bit different than kind of my other friends like when did you start really picking up on that yeah um and, and to be honest like early on in my life i felt like i lived in this bubble um, I think you were kind of uh, alluding to this, but my parents uh, are super religious. Uh, they're really big into our temple community, Swadhyay. 
um, and most of my friends growing up that I didn't go to school with came from came from Swadia. Uh, so they, they looked similar to me, they spoke the similar language, had the same traditions. So I was very much in a bubble growing up. So I didn't know any better that my life was different. Yeah. I would just go to school and then have my group of friends and we'd all do the same thing. Um, but as I started getting older, uh, extracurriculars in school, kind of playing sports on teams and just hanging out with people that didn't look like me uh, outside of school. Uh, is when I started to notice these subtle differences in our life. Um, whereas if I go over to my friend's Matt's house, uh, it would be him and his brothers and his parents and no one else in his house. I uh, go back to my house. There's my aunt, my uncle, all of my cousins, my grandparents, all in one house. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, this is not normal. So like that was uh, one of the times in my life I remember like, all right, like my, my life is a little different. Um and then obviously we, we touched on this, but walking into school with yellow ankles or smelling like what we had for dinner the day before. For sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it, 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 that, that, that stuff became more and more apparent. Like the bottles of cologne I started buying yep. to mess that shit up. The Axe body spray. <laughs> the Axe yeah. body spray. It wasn't cologne yet. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, and I'm happy that rest of like my sixth grade class uh, was big into Axe because kind of just fit right in there um but i think uh, another aspect that was pretty eye-opening to me is dating right like yes like we weren't really going on extravagant dates with people when we're in uh fifth sixth seventh grade but like we had boyfriends and girlfriends and um i i i was no different there but i didn't tell anyone at home like i i would eventually like after a few weeks tell my mom that i had something going on um, and she didn't think much of it. It was just more of like a phase for her. But I never really uh, spoke to my dad uh, about having uh, a girlfriend that was not in my, like, not, not the same race. Because yeah. I didn't know if it was accepted. I don't know if it was frowned upon. Even though, like, looking back at it, my dad defied everyone in his life to marry someone who loves him. Maybe he would have uh, would have been open and, and it would have been cool, but, yeah. uh, definitely, definitely not in that time where I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to have this conversation. <laughs> uh, so no one's the wiser. I just live my life, uh, in school, come home and be a good temple kid. Um, yep. but, uh, I think those were things that early on really stuck out to me that was like, all right, this is, this is different. This is, uh, not what the norm is. Um, celebrating Christmas. Yeah, we like did gifts, but never was our house like super decked out with all the lights. But actually in Diwali is when they're more excited. So it's like yeah. our holidays were always a little off. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but uh, you could see that they were more excited about Diwali than they were Christmas. But then as we got older, that changes. But uh, things like that, definitely like the culture would peep through uh, as much as I would try to suppress it. Um, things that made me Indian and still make me Indian today uh, were very different uh, to what my friends were doing. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that. I'll, I'll start with Diwali or just Indian religion stuff in general or Hindu religion in general. But one of the things that, um, you know, my parents do during Diwali, or, which is a very prevalent part of Hindu, is uh, it's it looks like a swastika, right? Yes. What is it called? Yes. 
so, and I mean, you, I am not promoting racism in any sense, obviously, but this is a true story. No, that's all. I think it, it's swastika. That's the name of it. Like that's what we call it. So it, in our religion, <laughs> it means something completely different. And I think I've looked this up in the past, and I think uh, I think it, it's supposed to mean like purism, and I think like Nazi Germany stole that and kind of changed what its meaning was in the mainstream and really like took it to another extreme and kind of ruined it obviously not kind of they did ruin it sort of seek but it's something that's been prevalent in our religion for centuries right the symbol this logo yep. of like a positive sort of purity of our soul mind whatever i think don't quote me i'm not a religious scholar but I, to my understanding that's what it is but anyway so my mom would with a uh, kanku which is like red ink that you uh, we commonly use for a lot of our religious stuff she'd make these on the outside of our doors and our doorsteps uh, during Diwali season and my friends would come over and they'd be like yo what the fuck man why do you have swastikas painted all outside your house <laughs> I just I, I just did not have a good explanation and like I didn't know enough to be like yo this is different from you know Nazi Germany and why it is I like I didn't have that wealth of knowledge and I still really don't like but I know it is obviously <laughs> But uh, that was like one of the times when I started realizing, okay, like, yeah, like our, you know, our religion and traditions, like it's not the typical Christian white calendar. Like we do things that are different here. And then my mom, like going back to that puja room that I talked about with our, uh, you know, with our deities or God statues, um, she, she would do puja there like morning, afternoon and dinner, like three times a day, like full on pujas, right? And she was maniacal about those about the timings. So my friends would come over and it'd be like 6 p.m. dinner time, and you just hear this bell ding 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 ding. And they'd be like, yo, 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 what is that? What's going on? Like <laughs> they'd start looking around, seeing if something's happening. Like, do they need to like duck and cover? <laughs> so like the first few times that happened, that's always like an interesting thing to explain. Like, oh no, no, don't worry about that. That's just my mom, like, you know, offering food to our gods. And like having to explain that. And my mom, she she literally doesn't care who's in the house. Like I swear to God, it could be like President Barack Obama. If it's 6 p.m., it's 6 p.m. She's letting that bell fly. She's sweet. She's singing, <laughs> clapping her hands. Like she, like there is no one that could get in her way of making sure these pujas are done in a timely fashion. But, you know, th- those are some of the things where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, just there's definitely some stark differences in how I live life at home versus, uh, you know, a lot of my friends that I grew up with. And, uh, you know, the last thing that I think of is really uh, going back to my mom dropping off hot lunch, right? When she would bring McDonald's for first five, six grades of my life, it would be hamburger, no meat, fries, and a drink, right? Because I'm a veg- I, I was born and raised a vegetarian initially. I'm no longer, full disclosure. And so the story behind that is I get tired of my friends kind of like, you know, picking on me like, oh, yeah, what are you eating? Uh, bread with ketchup and onions there with my like hamburger, no meat. And like, there's nothing on it besides like cheese, ketchup and onions. Like it's like bare bones. Right. So I get like tired of it. And like this is around seventh grade. I finally come home to my mom and dad. I'm like, look, if you're going to bring me McDonald's, I want a fish fillet or something like that. And my dad eated fish, fish fillets. He was not a vegetarian. So I would see it. I'm like, that's what I want. I'm tired of getting picked on. So I finally like mustered up enough balls to finally tell my parents like, yo, I don't want to eat vegetarian all the time in my life. I want to start being like, quote unquote, somewhat normal. Like this decision that you made for me is no longer something I agree with. We're going to have to change things up here. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, all all those stories are good, but I think uh, kind of the underbelly of it, what really 
thinking about it, what really is like, okay, yeah, I'm like, it's different, you know, for being a first generation or just being Indian in general. Was, it was after 9-11, right? Like that was a transformative period for a lot of us. And I'm sure most of us could share a story or two. But I remember after intramurals, like the week after someone, I was walking with a buddy or two and like someone, a group behind us, one of the kids like throws a rock, hits me in my backpack and like yell out, go back to your country, right? And like my, my buddy next to me just grabs like, don't, don't pay attention. Don't pay attention. And keep walking. But you know, incidents like that, like that's the flip side of it. When if, if you didn't know based on these little like nuances and traditional and cultural differences, I feel like you really got the picture as you grew up and especially post 9-11. Like that was, that was a huge moment for me when I really had to grapple with like, okay, I'm Indian. I'm not white. I'm different. Like what does being a Hindu mean? Like do people like, I'd be called a Muslim. Like I'm not a Muslim. Like, like dealing with all of these nuances of what it means to be quote unquote different and kind of grappling with that internally while I'm growing up in that climate. That was kind of the, uh, that was the underbelly of it. Right. Yeah. I think one of the, like, I think I'm just unpacking this for the first time right now with this conversation, but like growing up, uh, and then you'd see like nine 11 happen and, all in the news, you see the Taliban and they're wearing jabalingos, like things that we yeah, like, yeah. like we're supposed to wear when it's like Diwali or a wedding or some something Indian, like that's like very similar garment. Yeah. Um, and, and like I, I drew a hard line. There. I was like, yeah, that's not me. Like, I don't want to wear something so similar to that. Yeah. Um, I and I think even to this day, I like I try to wear a blazer and, and pants if I could to a wedding. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know if it's cause of that or it's just more comfortable to me. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I remember vividly like growing up, I was like, yeah, like, I don't want to be like that. Like, that's what they're showing on TV. Like, I, like that's too close for comfort. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, nine 11 was, uh, I still remember, uh, I think fifth grade. Uh, and like we, they got a big announcement in the school. It's like, Hey, United States is under attack mm -hmm. and everyone just like went home. Like people were like, started like coming, going home. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I still remember, uh, how, how everything yeah. changed. Do you, do you think, I, even though like, go ahead, like, even though like we're not obviously the same type of people, yeah. but we look so damn close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so it was not, it was not, uh, I don't expect sixth and seventh graders to know the difference between India and Pakistan. Exactly. If you're brown and you're brown, then you're brown, man. And if you have a beard, then you're even more similar, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you now that I'm thinking about it. I feel like for that kind of brief period in time, I probably leaned heavier into being non-Indian, like shying away from all those things, like not trying to do anything that made me look associated or affiliated with being different than the norm. And that, that you know, I don't, I, I don't know if it was the right or wrong thing to do, but it was almost kind of like a survival technique at that point, right? Like, no, what, what sixth or seventh grader likes being bullied because of how they look or where they're from, right? So one way or another, you kind of try to figure out, all right, what can I do to just like get through days without having to deal with this bullshit? And that I think was part of my like survival instincts almost. It wasn't that like dire or like this survival is the right word, but that's the phrase that comes to mind. So look, I know like growing up, we have, we had a lot of different expectations and rules and guidelines that we, we had to fall by. Like I said, our parents you know, my parents were religious, right? So that brings a whole set of 
whole set of rules and expectations that come with, okay, you're, you know, you're growing up Hindu, like this is how you have to live your life and uh, just being Indian. And, uh, this is like expectations we have for you and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll start with, I'll start with dating, right? Dating was like taboo. It was like, until we were of the age to like maybe consider getting married, like late college, like don't date, don't date, don't date, don't date. Okay. Go get a wife now. (laughs) <laughs> like that was really the trajectory of it. <laughs> like it was so black and white, like no gradual, like feel it out, learn how this works. Like, all right, now you're of age, you finish college, please proceed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely the case for a lot of people where it's like they're 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 they like don't even want to talk about it. So it's like how do we how do we prepare like how do we practice like how do we how do we do this thing and they just expect us to like jump into a relationship ready to marry like yo that doesn't that's not how it works i want to get to know this person yeah yeah and <laughs> you know i remember you you know uh obviously vikas who's also one of our best friends so me and vikas were quote unquote like butt buddies growing up like we'd we we call each other every day and talk on the phone like a couple of schoolgirls and like giggle and laugh and share stories. Like it was a we were truly butt buddies <laughs> to the point where my parents were concerned that uh, we had a we had a homosexual relationship. It would make us no longer allow us to sleep on the same bed. My mom he would come to sleep over. And my mom would already have another mattress ready on the floor for him. <laughs> like that's how they that's how concerned they were with our uh, friendship. <laughs> very subtle (laughs) (laughs) but um you know one of the stories there was this girl when we were like in elementary school we just had this huge crush on her um her name was neha okay and like he liked her i liked her we both liked her and we'd go back and forth and one day we're on the phone and we're kind of like talking about her for a while and my mom is you know my mom kept in the know she 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 was the mom that would uh you know, dig through my drawers, look through my phone every once in a while. Like she, she just didn't, she just didn't want to miss anything and see if we were up to no good or anything like that. So we're we're talking on the phone. You know, it's like it's a couple of elementary school kids, right? Like we're not talking anything graphic or bad, really. But we're just talking about you know we have feelings for this girl, we like her, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, third party pickup on the home line. This is before cell phones. You just hear my mom. Vikas put down the phone right away. <laughs> and it's just dial tone, beep. <laughs> and I hang up and I'm like shitting my pants because it was such a big deal to like talk about that. Like it was just like you weren't allowed to. Like it was the end of the world. So this happens and this is like, you know, my best friend. We talk to each other every day, see each other every weekend, if not more. It's literally like three months of radio silence after this where we don't talk to each other. He doesn't come over. We're like just (laughs) scared. We're like, oh, man, this is really like we've really crossed the line here. And that's like how crazy it was in our head. That's how like severe we felt this uh, this mistake was because that was what was hammered in our head. Right. Like it's just like it's like a forbidden fruit to talk about girls or like to date or even consider anything like that. So. (laughs) <laughs> that was like a, a perfect example of what that was like growing up. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so when did this kind of like, all right, talking about girls, dating, and then, I mean, obviously eventually leading into partying um, and like having fun and, and going through college. Uh, want to wanna, wanna talk about that a little bit? Yeah. 
I mean, same same kind of stories, right? I mean, my parents, my mom especially, very strict. She was the mom that would be like, oh, you know, call me five minutes before she shows up. I'm bringing food or I'm going to come clean up the apartment. If I got a phone call, sometimes I was lucky. Sometimes it would just be a knock on the door and be like, oh, I'm here with food. And it'd be like, you know, a Monday after a weekend, I haven't had a chance to clean up and the shit is bad. So one day I'm at class and she comes and one of my roommates lets her in. And she finds, she finds uh, like, it was after our formal for this group we were part of, SASA. So it's like this big party, hotel banquet, etc. Um, and she finds like all these flasks that we had from the weekend because we were still like 19 or 20. So we kind of had to use flask at that time um, in case we were getting ID'd or fake IDs didn't work, whatever. So she finds all these flasks. She doesn't say anything to me that day, but I go home that next weekend same shit, man. She she takes me to Bagan's room, God's room, sits me down in front of it. it. It's like something out of a Bollywood film. Like the it's like black sky, curtains are drawn, and she's like, "I found this in your room. Are you drinking alcohol?" <laughs> and I I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, I've tried it, but most of those were my friends. They just ended up in my rooms. Because like I said, I'm like, I, I can't, I can't blatantly lie in front of God like that. You know, like no, she knows. Yeah, yeah. So like, I have to fess up to it a little bit, but I'm trying to like put the best, best possible, like Fox News, MSNBC spin on it that I can. Like, yeah, most of it was my friends. You know, they all just gave it to me at the end of the night. I didn't get a chance to throw it away. Yada, yada, yada. So, you know, there were multiple instances like that where uh, my mom found things related to alcohol. One time she found a condom in my wallet. That was a bad one. And then she was dropping me oh, off. She was dropping me off to college that day, back to my dorm. And it's like 45 minutes in the car with this woman. And I'm like, man, I have no escape. Here we go. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> At least you were, in, you were in front of God, right? So he could work your way around this one. <laughs> yeah. that, that one I said, uh, that one I said, it, uh, there was a health fair going on and they were handing them out. So I just took <laughs> Oh, man, that's hilarious. Uh, so I think that's like one of the reasons why U of I was so awesome. It, it wasn't close enough for them to like yeah. do a sneak attack. Yeah. They would always have to call. And for those of you who don't know, um, U of I is University of Illinois, <laughs> Urbana-Champaign. It's like it's like the big state school, party school in Illinois. It's like two and a half hours away from home. But good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was... A little different because I, 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 well, initially I did start off at, at, at a local uh, junior college here um, close to home. So I was staying at home. I was working. I was working in the mall. I, 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 full, I was working at American Eagle where I was co-workers with Rod for three days before <laughs> he decided not to. He, that, that wasn't for him. Three days. But three days. I was still <laughs> three, three days. He, it was a fun three days, but uh, short lived, short lived. Um, I, and then I eventually transferred out to the state school. Um, and I think this is when I really let my hair down and had freedom for the first time because growing up, I was always at home, lived at home. Even the first two years of college, I was at home. Uh, so when I left, it, like freedom, like, yes, like no one's looking after me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm my own man. I can do what I want when I want. It, it was a lot yeah. of a lot of freedom coming at me. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 uh, it was it was different in a sense because through growing up, my parents had these expectations of either you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a dentist, or you're going to be an engineer. Yeah. Um, nothing else, and that's all you're going to do. But when I was in the moment, when I was in school, they kind of 
like peeled back. Like they didn't, they didn't pressure me. They kind of let me go naturally. And I ended up with an economics and philosophy degree. <laughs> and like they, they did it. Like they, I think they kind of gave me a little bit more trust as I was, as I was going through, going through the phases. Yeah. But they, they, they just hoped that the pressure they had put me, put on me throughout my entire life uh, of being one of those three things would eventually kind of click, but it never did. I I didn't, ha- I, I feel like you had a very different college approach as you decided to be a doctor. Like there's certain shit you have to do in order to be even eligible to, to be a doctor. Uh, I did none of that. I kind of went through school uh, learning what I wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, and that was ph- like philosophy. Um, like I went to this temple every week once a week and then like other days that we'd have like one-off events so like three four times a week i'd be hanging out in this type of environment and listening to uh bandu rangshastri talk about uh aristotle plato socrates and and just name dropping and there were such cool stories and i was really enthralled by that so i so i went in with the philosophy i was like yeah this is something i could not really uh try to try too hard and i could go go ride the rail at legends real quick um quickly realized uh i needed i needed more money shout out legends. wasn't like shout the details <laughs> shout out legends what a great place but like similar i don't think it was in depth as your dad but like doing an analysis of like what my future will be if i'm just a philosophy major that happened to me too i didn't like write down the salary or all of that but just kind of looked online what the options were and honestly with philosophy most people end up going to more school uh, I didn't want to do that, so I, I, I tossed in economics. I was always a math guy, yeah, uh, and and ended up ended up with both of those majors. Um, I, if you ask my parents today, like, yo, what what did Suburb go to college for? I bet my dad will probably say something sciencey or like <laughs> he still doesn't know. <laughs> like, yeah, like he's he's like he's got it. He's figured it out. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't always the case because I finished school, uh, and econ and philosophy didn't have a job lined up. Uh, so I just started talking to, to, to my friends. Um, but one of my friends, uh, you know him well, uh, Shake Nation. Shake. Uh, shout, shout out Shake Nation. Yeah. Shout out Shake, man. <laughs> yeah. Abhishek. Um, he was a recruiter at like a recruiting firm. And he's like, yo, I honestly think you'd love what I do. I just talk to people, learn about what they like, and then find them jobs. I was like, yo, like that's pretty cool. I could talk to people. And like this is when recruiting was like blowing up. So I, yeah. so I got a gig as a recruiter um, and I, I was enjoying it. I liked it because it's just talking to people. Uh, but really quickly <laughs> learned that like I, I need some more excitement. It was kind of repetitive. Um, and this was the time my parents were like, all right, he didn't listen to us with the career path, but he has a great job. He's getting paid. Oh, and he's living at home. Like this is our dream. Yeah. Like, he's doing everything right. Um, and, uh, the curveball that I threw at them at that point was like, you know, uh, we have these group, I had a group of friends, uh, Sean Hirsch, Ravi, uh, Shazan didn't really know him at the time, but met, met him through this venture. Uh, they were starting a coding boot camp, and they needed someone to help, uh, people get jobs after they teach them how to code. Um, and I, I took the plunge. I took the jump. I was like, Hey mom, dad, I have this great job like got benefits of my own, like, you know, uh, and they're like, what do you mean? You're just going to leave everything and go do something with your friends. Like, how is that responsible? Um, and then like all the, all their feelings really came out. But at that point I was like, you know, I wasn't really asking you, I I may come off as an asshole here, but like, I was like 
I was in the moment, but I was like, I, I wasn't really asking for permission at this point. It was more so yeah. like, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'll be. Um, and I had that conversation. And I think, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but I think you and I had a conversation right around this time. And you were like, yo, like, how long are you going to live your life for your parents' vision of you? Like, this is your life. You got to do what you like. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, that is so true. Uh, and then I jumped to Austin and like never looked back, got into the tech industry with this avenue. Um, and it was it was just great. I, I um, led their career services in Austin yeah. and then we opened in San Francisco, opened that campus. So traveled there, lived there, did the same in L.A. And I, I want to I say something about what, what you just mentioned. If you pause that thought for one second. Yeah. But you know, that conversation that we had, I remember it. And that was kind of around the time where I kind of went through that shift in my mindset. Like, all right, I got to like, you know, I, I love my parents, you know, I'll always be there for, but I got to live life for myself. Right. And I think that's something that's very different in our generation versus theirs. Like I still get the sense that most of them live their life. If not totally, then like halfway for also their parents and their family and like, what they needed and being where they needed, like geographically, career-wise, all those decisions like were also putting together those other factors, right? Yep. And I feel like for us, we we realize like, you know, that's it doesn't have to be that way. And it's not necessarily the right way to go about life, you know. And some people may disagree with that and say teach their own. But I think me and you kind of came to that conclusion like it doesn't really make sense for us. Like we can still be great kids. We can still be great sons to our parents, take care of our parents, whatever. But we need to live life for ourselves and kind of break that mold. Because I feel like up yeah. until our generation, like that that tradition was like something that existed generation to generation. And uh, I think we're probably the first yeah. that's really breaking that. And I know it's not just us two, obviously. There's people across the board yeah. that are doing it. But I think that was kind of a big uh, paradigm shift in terms of what we're doing as a generation as a whole. Yeah, and I think, like, I, like my parents um, won't say it, but, like, they're, like, I think they're kind of concerned. Like, yo, he's been doing his own thing. Is he going to be around for us when we're older and needed? Like, sure. yes, we're going to do that. Like, that shit you instilled in us and that, like, I'm going to do that without a doubt. Yeah. Like, we're on board. Like, we're going to – but they, I don't think they get it. They just need constant reassurances that, hey, like – Oh, he's in my house. He's going to take care of me. Like we're together, but they don't feel that when we kind of branch out, yeah. go learn, live our own life. Cause like, they're like, are, are, is he prioritizing us or like, what's he doing? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, the, I think that's the fear that, that really gets uncovered there. That's like, they're not around us. They don't know what we need, what we want. But it's like, yes, call us. Yeah. FaceTime. I, us. I, like, I think we'll the concern is like instant. out of sight, out of <laughs> mind. You know, if you're not like physically yep. there either in the same roof or close by seeing them every weekend. I think that like, you know, this relationship will just kind of falter and it won't be the same. You'll forget about them. And because again, like when they grew up, they, they grew up in little gums, you know, or they grew up in the same house yeah. with multiple family members where like they felt like their way of life existed because of this geographic proximity they had to each other. And, you know, this is a drastic change from that when they're like, oh, my son now lives across the US for me, or, you know, it takes a flight for him. I'm not going to see him every weekend. And that's something that brings about, you know, valid concerns because it's so drastically different from what they're used to, but it takes just a little bit of uh, reassuring and kind of, you know, making sure they know there's other avenues of staying in touch. And especially in this day and age, like FaceTime, phone, like even, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even in the future, like I'm, I'm like as as I'm like newly married and like setting things up for the future. Um, they're such a big priority, and like I'm excited to kind of get to that stage and and have that opportunity to to give back. Hopefully, yeah. As I mean, not as much obviously as they've given me, but like. Uh, close enough you know like do everything for sure and have them be and, and that goes back um, to like how our parents really like their lives existed to kind of set us up for success right like yeah. my parents didn't like they didn't go out to dinner or they didn't do anything fun in their 30s 40s like we would go on vacation once or twice a year but beyond that they literally day in and day out they worked provided for us and that was their life and i feel like yeah. you know knowing that seeing that it's part of my responsibility is I want you to make sure you see the fruits of your labor, i.e. Yep. me, my family and all that, because that, you know, that's what you lived your life for. And if, uh, you know, if I'm not able to make you feel like that was a worthwhile investment for you, then quite frankly, I've, I've yep. failed as a son, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 For, for sure. Um, but I mean, going back to, to current career path, yep. right? Um, I was talking about uh, San Francisco. Uh, so we opened our coding bootcamp campus there. I helped launch that, led their career services, rinse and repeat, did the same shit in LA. Um, and then eventually we got acquired. Um, so then I was kind of floating around in sunny California, figuring out what to do. Worked at another boot camp down there. A lot of greenery uh, there, huh? them. Yeah, a lot of greenery. Uh uh, the, the plants were really good out there. So I, I, I was in my personal heaven there. Um, and then while I was out there, I actually got a message from someone over at Northwestern saying, hey, like we're about to launch a coding boot camp. Roll through, help us out. We know you've done this before. Uh, and like, I was like, sure. Like that's my family. My family's there. That's home. Uh, and, and I quickly jumped over there. And I think at this point is when really my parents were like, yo, like he figured that shit out. Uh, yeah. Even though we, we weren't like the biggest supporters of his career choices, we really didn't make it easy for him to do like what he wanted because it, it felt like I was going against the grain. Sure. Uh, but it was really cool to come home and like, yo, mom, dad, like I'm moving back home to Chicago. And remember that school Northwestern that declined me as a student. Now they're going to be paying me to go help launch their coding boot. Hell yeah. And yeah, so that was like a, a proud moment in my career. Um, but then that didn't last too long because, uh, again, I got I got kind of bored. And like I was like, yo, that's not for me, man. I'm like super young. I need to go fail. I need to go do something that's different. Um, and then I found myself at my current company, uh, Relativity. Uh, I set out to learn what it would take to scale a company internally, but I wanted to learn what it would take to do it myself. So joined Relativity. When I joined, we were around 500 people. Uh, and now four years later, we're at over 1,500. Damn. So, so to be part of, the, part of the talent acquisition team there. Oh, and now I'm, I'm, now I'm like the program manager for, for technical recruitment. So looking after all of the engineering departments and making sure the biggest department in our company continues to grow, yeah. which is, yeah, which is, which was, which has been an awesome ride. Yeah. Um, and and I, like, I'm really thankful that I fell into this. I don't know. Many people would take that big of a pay cut to go learn, especially after having years of success and For sure. working your way up the ladder to get there. Yeah. Um, didn't tell my parents. Yeah. Again, I didn't tell my parents yeah. about like the step back initially, but uh, they're, I don't, ignorance is bliss. And I wanted to let them have that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, two, two things that come to mind when you tell me that story. Number one is 
So we talked about this a little bit. We went to this <clears throat> religious school, Swadhyay, right? Where every Sunday you go and watch a uh, lecture, do some learning on kind of philosophy and Hindu religion. But most, a lot of us dropped out. Some Subrit still sticks with it and goes, he's involved. Um, I don't. But our, our friend group from that was just this fantastic group of people that were still like all best friends, like at least like five, six of us. And then through that group, we've met so many people. And when you mentioned Abhishek, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, all right, sh- sure, you went to school together, but you transferred into U of I your sophomore or junior year. How did you meet him? And you met him through our buddy, Sean, who was one of those yep. original like best friends from Swadia. And there's so many examples of that, like just one connection away of people who are now huge part of our lives, who have been instrumental in where we are. And it all kind of stemmed from this little circle that uh, originally was created in our childhood. So, and that was all, you know, going back to our parents, they wanted to make sure that coming to America, we still had a sense of religion, a sense of community with other Indians. And, you know, their fear was that we would just completely abandon all that being in America. So I think that was part of the motivation for them joining this and getting us in there. And, you know, that is, uh, it's paid off its dividends. Yeah. Props to them, man. Like, mo- like most of my best friends come from that, yeah. like, learning in school. So, uh, for sure, uh, super happy that they decided to kind of wake us up on Sundays and go there instead of watching football. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely worth the sacrifice in the long run, for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, expectations for me, thinking about my career path, it was – It really, number one was, as I kind of progressed through high school and was given a little more freedom, I think my parents were like, work hard, do well in school, number one. If you do that, almost everything else can be brushed under the rug. You can, you can go out, you can, you can, you know, hang out with your friends as long as you're keeping up with your school and excelling, right? Like as long as that criteria was met, everything else was okay for the most part. And then obviously avoid criminal behavior. Like, like their worst fear was me like doing something that could catastrophically fuck up my career path or fuck up my life and get me in a lot of trouble, right? So that, that it wasn't a huge criteria at that point, but it was like, do well in school, uh, you know, stay in touch with your family and friends, be a good person, obviously, but, and don't get into criminal, criminal behaviors or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they gave me the, they gave me the freedom of picking what I wanted, right? I think there's a little bit of a bug that my dad put in my ear about, you know, consider medicine. We had a, no one in our immediate family, but we knew people, obviously, if you're Indian, you know, someone that's in medicine. He's like, you know, there's stability with it, financial stability, long-term stability. There's a little bit of prestige and you're doing something good. So if you, if you like it, uh, if you like it, you know, you should consider it. Or if you think you'd like it, you should consider it. So that was kind of the bug he put in my ear. But be, beyond that, like, I really did have the freedom of choice. But Hold on. Be, be, before you go on, because I, I don't know this, yeah. but, like, w- did you consider anything else yeah. aside from, yeah. like, being a doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about law for a while. Yeah, I was thinking about law for a while. Um, um, and then kind of I felt the need because of because of kind of the trajectories for these careers for both of them. I felt the need to have decided – prior to going into college, right? So in high school, I did a little bit, I didn't shadow, I didn't do anything with kind of legal volunteering or getting involved, but I did some medical stuff just to see if I liked it and stuff like that. And I enjoyed it. So I kind of made my decision then with like my mentality of, okay, I'm going to college to do pre-med and that's what I'm going to do. But it's such a foolish endeavor, like thinking about it now, like, dude, your, your college experience is so vast and versatile and to like 
go in and just pigeonhole yourself to this pre-med route and not even think or consider anything else. I think that's really a, it's a disservice even to myself. Like I took so many classes that I just didn't care for, but I had to do it because I was on pre-med. Like I could care less about biochem, organic, like my fourth year of med school, I finally started doing some shit that I cared about. Like I took a musical production class with my roommate, Ted, and our whole class was for like two hours once a week, we'd be in the studio cooking up beats. <laughs> and like that was to this day, that's like one of my favorite classes that I finally took in college. But I wish that um, I wish that you know that wasn't the route you had to take to get into medicine. It, it necessarily it 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 isn't necessarily, but for most people that is the easiest and most straightforward. So that's what you end up doing, obviously. And I think that is a bit of a disservice, and especially you know the fact that you have to decide so early. But kind of going back to you know late high school, one of the things that our high school did was they took us to like one of these vocational schools, right, where you can go and like find. Uh, a career or a certain occupation and then like do two years of training on that right so all these different jobs like electrical engineering construction whatever whatever the case there's it's a whole school for all these different jobs so i come home from that field trip and uh, i was really excited about electrical engineering particularly after that i thought it was cool and the guy's like oh yeah you can make seventy thousand dollars a year doing this and i'm like okay that seems like a good amount like i could yeah yeah that seems great so I come home and I you know, show my dad the pamphlet. This was like sophomore or junior year of high school, okay? I show my dad the pamphlets and I'm like, yeah, you know, it seems like you could make a good living, $70,000 a year. So he doesn't say anything then, right? He just kind of listens to me, hears me out. A week later, he, he, bring, he calls me into a study room where he has his computer and he sits down with me and he's like, has an Excel spreadsheet open. He's like, all right, let's talk about let's talk about kind of what it takes to live. Do you do you ever thought about kind of how much money we spend month to month? And I'm like, not nah, really. I give like a rough estimate, and then he like starts he's he starts breaking it down for me, right? He's dropping some serious knowledge. Jeez. He's like, how much? Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, how much do you think we pay in mortgage? I'm like, I don't know. So he gives me that number, like three four k, house insurance, health insurance, um, cars. How much do you think the cars cost? One car, two car. How about the cost of your education? What about your sports that you play? What about just normal food and groceries? He he gives me like 10, 20 columns of just monthly expenditures and breaks it down for me. And, you know, he's like, how much do you think you'll spend on entertainment? I'm like, I don't do that much. I'm in high school, right? Like for my entertainment, it's going to the movies, like a $10 ticket. Little did I know, five years down the line, I'd be like, oh yeah, let's get bottles at fucking sub 51. (laughs) Like I didn't have that concept in my head. So I'm like... I shouldn't need more than like $200 a month for entertainment. Like, what am I really doing? (laughs) So he's like, all right, you'll see later on in life. But he kind of like inflated that number a little bit. It was still on the low end and he puts it together and he still, I think he still has a spreadsheet safe, but it was like at bare minimum to live like a comfortable lifestyle that ended up being a six figure number that you needed. And there, we didn't even put savings on there, like planning for retirement or anything like that. Right. So yeah. that was like something like, again, he's like, you can do what you want, but I just want you to make sure like what it takes to like live a decent life, not even like a fantastic life, but at least like a decent life with kids and be comfortable and all that shit, shit we're accustomed to, right? Like shit that we were given and the, the, the life that we were accustomed to. Yeah. Cause I know like <laughs> I may, most of America can live happily on 70 K, but there's just shit that we grew up with. No. We know what we needed. So it's like a little bit different in that sense though. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, long story short, I went to undergrad for uh, pre-med and uh, 
I was able to get my shit together after a year and do well, do well on my MCATs, get into med school where I went to Philly. And, um, you know, I'm happy with where my career ended out ultimately. I think one of the things that you also don't realize when you kind of plan for medicine is it's such a vast field, like primary care versus specialty care. Within specialty, are you going to do surgical versus non-surgical? Are you going to do a private practice job? Are you going to do academics? Are you going to do research? Like there's just so many ways you can slice it and figure out ways to be happy with that umbrella. And for me, I think that was part of the salvaging factor for me. Like I I think if I, you know, kudos to everyone that does it. Um, A lot of my friends do as well. But if I was like gone into medicine and the only option I had was primary care where I'm, you know, seeing just that patient population, doing notes for them and the documentation and the headaches that come with that, I don't think I'd be happy or fulfilled with where I am. So I, you know, I didn't know what I was going into med school for particularly. I just thought it was just primary care or being a hospitalist because that's kind of the, in the stereotypical sense when you're growing up, that's what a doctor is, right? But then you forget that there's all these other subspecialties and stuff like that. Thankfully, I was able to find something. And now, uh, you know, I'm an interventional pain physician, which is a cool combination of procedures, surgery, treating patients with chronic pain. So I am happy with, you know, where I ended up. Do you, you, uh, any regrets going through everything so early and not giving your like self yeah. chance to kind of like, I had a different approach in college where it was like, I wasn't super defined and I was just like, all right, let's go with the flow, see what I like and where that ends up. No. Yeah. Hearing you talk about your four years in college, like, of course, I wish I had a little more just freedom to explore some other classes or fields like i did i had an econ minor which you know i enjoyed but it's me like you know i'm like actually more of a creative i think than a scientific head like the things that i enjoy like i've grown up like dabbling in music like i used to make beats on fruity loops and then i started rapping recording like it's a hobby i still keep up to this day right like you know like i love that like i'm trying to like do a clothing line on the side because i just like that sort of stuff it's like what fulfills me on the side and I, w- I would have loved as a chance in college during those four formative years of your life to dabble in that and then also study abroad and things like that. Um, I think being in pre-med and on that path just doesn't necessarily lend itself to it. Again, not impossible, but it, it just doesn't lend lend itself to doing that. It's not the easiest way to go about things. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. And then now, now thinking about it, right? I feel like we had, and we've touched on this a little bit, but we we had a lot of expectations that stemmed from our parents' upbringing and traditions. And kind of as we went through life, we realized it didn't make sense in today's social constructs, right? And we touched on that in terms of living for yourself versus living for your parents, uh, what you did in college, career path. But at a certain point, we, we had to shed those, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like... Uh, let me ask you this. Like when you grew up, were there certain expectations or predetermined paths that you felt like you had to abide by and you then had fear of if you deviated from those that, you know, you would be frowned upon or be like you'd be looked at as a bad child or? Uh, I, I like there there was a sense of fear if I like didn't because when my parents talked about the future with me it was either like i mentioned doctor engineer yeah uh and and one other thing and if i would say anything else aside from that uh i was not gonna have like 
I was not going to like the conversation I would have with my parents at that point. So I kind of just fell into that and just like fed them. Yeah, I'll go to dental school. Like I'll be a dentist. Um, <laughs> and then instead of it, instead of an engineer, yeah. um, I like to draw. So um, I used to paint a lot back in the day. Yep. I, 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 I leaned into that creative. So I was like, yeah, I'll be an architect. I think that's a good blend of my math skills and my creative skills. Yeah. And it was funny because at the same time, my family, my parents were, were building a house. So we'd go meet with the architect yeah. uh, once, once a week or once every other week. Um, as they're designing our home and and like he, he was a cool guy very personable uh ruffy ruffy in lincolnwood illinois i don't know his last name shout out ruffy. super young yeah shout out ruffy um he he told me he's like so what are you trying to do when you grow up i was like you know i actually want to be like you i want to be an architect yeah and he's like don't it's too stressful uh it may not catch on you may not get to good work at a good firm and uh, it's just a tough life i think you could do better I was like, damn, like, all right, like, that, that seems like a good, because, like, when I was younger, I'd always think about, like, instead of, like, I, people talk about the prestige or, like, day-to-day, I just looked at the work that they did. Yeah. It's like, what I like doing the work that they're doing day in and day out, and that's what I really focused on, and to me, an architect fucking took a ruler or some paper or a pencil and drew buildings. I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, like, let me go do that, um, but I, I, I learned quickly that, um, it was a pretty hard route, um, yeah. and and that's when I like deviated like completely from my parents' plans. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna go learn what I like to learn, yeah. and and I'll figure it out from there. Uh, were they happy? Not really. Were they happy I got a job? Yeah. But I think the first time when when they they came to San Francisco, um, th- they didn't come to Austin when I moved down there, and I was there for a year. And then we grew our second office in San Francisco. We moved there, or I moved there, um, and my parents and I called my parents. I was like, "Yo, like, when are you guys gonna come see me? Yeah. Like, come check check out our home, check out our office." Um, and I, uh, they came to San Francisco. We had like family there too, so like they were more comfortable. They didn't. We didn't know. They didn't know too many people in Austin. Sure. Um, so they came. They came to San Francisco. Came. They loved the house. And then what, what really was like a, a, a trigger moment for me, um, they, we went to the office because we wanted to show them. And like this place, it, it was just uh, a blank office before we got there. There was no walls. We even picked the fucking t- carpet color. Like oh, we yeah. legit built that thing for, from scratch. Yeah. Um, we had them add walls. We had like classrooms. We had a lecture hall. Um, and when they saw it, my, my dad legit had tears in his eyes. He's like, holy shit. Yeah. You did this without like our undivided support that you're like accustomed to. Yeah. And he was like so proud of me um, for 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 being a part of something like that. Um, and that's when I think we we eventually got on the same page uh, where I was able to show my dad that, hey, like there isn't a singular way of being successful. Like you could Facts. do what you want, what you like um, and, and still be successful. Uh, and I think seeing that office and like we had students come up to my parents like your your son is awesome your son has done so much for my career yeah. like our coworkers, like you've raised a good guy you've raised a good man yeah. um like they just showered Music with to their ears. compliments on, yeah they're like holy shit yeah. and and my dad said he's like you did this without like our undivided support and i was like yeah but like you truly let me do what i wanted to do right like i i was i was very unorthodox growing up yeah. and and thank like it's cuz of that but uh, I think we got back together on that same page when they saw that, hey, like, he's just not dicking around in Austin and San Francisco with his buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 
they're they're building something. Um, so that was the moment my parents were like, "All right, like this dude is not a kid anymore. Yeah. Like he's a guy. He's built a career. He's built a name for himself. For sure. Um, and and, and we we kind of just continue to let him do what he wants. And and I think when I came home, it was uh, it's funny because I just had a different relationship when I moved back home to Chicago. Um, one of the things I did when I left uh, when I left Cali was I got a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Vikas are one of our really good friends. Um, we, we got a tattoo. He got one on his back. I got one on my clavicle. Yeah. Uh, and it was like the Chicago Stars. And for me, like I was like, yo, Vikas, you're going to tell your parents? And he's like, probably not. He still <laughs> and, hasn't. Um, <laughs> he still hasn't, like almost five, six years later. So if Brugnish, Uncle, and Marriott, you're listening... Your son has a tattoo on his back, um, but for for me it was super different. Um, I I I wore a tank. I came home and I was like, "Yo, I got a tattoo." Yeah, and it was it was like the week I moved home too. So like, they were mad. Yeah, but then they're like, "He's gonna do what he wants. At least he's home." <laughs> so like, I just then it, it just kind of broke the ice for me. Things became yeah. a lot easier to talk to my parents, and I think that was like the start of the relationship changing. Really, yeah. where it's like. They're not. They're not going to be the enforcer exactly. that I needed for most of my life. Um, I need like homies now. Like we're going through life. You have your experiences. I'd love to learn about that because you faced adversity more than I'll ever face. Yeah. Um, but like we can learn from each other. Uh, so I think that's like how our our relationship is naturally evolving now. I think that's an um, interesting like, transition, like with your parents, right? Like going from parents like they're just so worried about making sure you do well they're just enforcing what they think they need to do to set you up for success and then at a certain point they start realizing they have these aha moments along the way like okay he's gonna be okay like he's doing well he's fine and then once they can kind of shed that concern and that like overwhelming fear of your child being a fuck up then you start transitioning into that role of okay now you're like friends more than parents yes and like that's been like me and my dad for example like we now absolutely have that where we're friends we talk about like you know our stock portfolios i was he's talked to me about like some crypto picks that he's learning like he's the one that told me about (laughs) solana like go go figure right like last year he's the one that told me about solana i was telling about an nft like we we just talk about like whatever kind of we're talking about and we're, we're friends more than anything um it's, it's been a little more challenging with my mom, and I don't know if that's just mothers in general. I feel like they just, they, it's hard to shed that maternal mentality, no matter kind of where your child is in their life. And I would, you know, personally, I'd love if we could like fully become just like friends where it's not like the conversation isn't like, are you okay? Did you eat? Or like, like my dad never asked me like, did I eat or what I eat or shit like that? Like, he, he doesn't care. Like, you know, it's yeah. not the same mentality. But would he, would he care if your mom asked though? Like that's what my dad does sometimes. So he'll be like, "Yo, did you ask him if he wants to?" I said, like, "Bro, I'm, like, I'm right here. Like, did you? I'm not going anywhere. Did you pack?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, Like she, like, he does. He, like, he pushes that role onto her a little bit when we're home. He'll be like, make sure you yeah, pack yeah. Him this, send him this, and stuff like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm I'm glad you were able to shed some of those expectations and then spread your wings and kind of come back and show your parents. That, hey, like, there isn't one right way to do this, right? And I think yeah. for a long time, that's kind of what they had stuck in their head. There's, like, only three or four different ways for you to be a good child, successful son, child, and uh, do well in this world. And in reality, that's just not the case. There's so many different ways to go about it. There's all sorts of paths 
Um, and you know, thousand ways to skin a cat, right? Like that's what the saying yep. is. Like there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. But like you know, I while the relationship has changed professionally, like they still had some sort of pressures on me, like with marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I broke the barriers there for my for myself when I moved in with my fiance. Like we weren't married, but we bought a place together. And like, you, were you guys I engaged at that point or no? Yeah, we were engaged. Okay. So we got engaged, and we we're like, all right, let's let's do it. Um, let's go let's go cop a place and then yeah. um, live together. Uh, so you can imagine how that conversation went to my religious ass parents. They're like, well, "Excuse me, like, what do you mean you're gonna go move together? Uh, <laughs> yeah, not only move, but we, sh- <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we share a mortgage together. So like, I think I went through the same progress there, yeah. where I had to like prove them that like, hey, like, it's okay. Like, I got to know my partner now, uh, in a way that I wouldn't have if we didn't live together. Um, and it's just things like that they don't understand because they did it a certain way, yeah. and they just assume." That we have to do it that way, but it's like, yo, it's not the '80s anymore. Yeah, no. Uh, love, love is the same, but like the way to get there, it, it, it's different. It's not this. It's not like the same approach that you did. So, and I think like um, they're you know along this predetermined path that's been created for us, right? Like all these things they have in their head about what what they hoped or intended for us. Every time you like deviate from that or shed one of those, there, there's a lot of just like fear concern it's like a hurdle to cross right like and there's multiple Mm -hmm. moments in our lives where that's happened like you talked about this moving in with your fiance before marriage you talked about your career you know for me it was it started in my childhood like listening to music was like frowned upon like i couldn't (laughs) listen to rap music in the car with swears or anything or or rap music period because it's bad so because of that when I got into like making music and rapping and things like that, like I had to do it so discreetly. Like even when I was in college, like I never told my parents, I don't think I've, I've recorded now probably like a dozen songs. And again, I just do this recreationally just for fun. Cause I enjoy it. I, I think I wasn't in my, I was probably in my mid twenties when I finally like just was like, yeah, I like make music, take a listen and finally show them like after like 10 years of doing that. Right. And it's just yeah. like this, uh, it's this internal fear that you've just had. And you, at some point in your life, you realize like, you think I like, wait, why am I so hesitant to do this at this point? No, I was just saying, I think it's like this fear, right? Like most of us first generation kids have, it's like, shit, my actions will disappoint my parents. Yeah. And like, and then we just shy away from yeah. it. But like the thing that I've learned throughout my life is our parents are super fucking resilient. Yep. Like they'll surprise you each step of the way. For sure. Um, it may be, it, and I think it's the own personal hurdle that you have to overcome. That's like, hey, it's a conversation that I need to have. Yeah. My parents are gonna love me unconditionally, no matter what the fuck I do. Yeah. Right? Like, I could, I could severely mess up and do something bad, but my parents will be there with me with the same unconditional yeah. love. And I, I, I think, um, and I think, go ahead. No, that's it. That, that's all I wanted to say. I think that going perception. back to what you said, like you don't want to let them down, but then taking a step further, like why, why do you have this overwhelming? fear of like letting them down and it's because when you think about it it's like every time you think about it it's like damn like my parents really did do a lot for me they really did like struggle a lot to give me everything that i have put me in this place in my life so there's a heightened sense of like i don't want to let them down or disappoint them that maybe wouldn't exist if we weren't the children of immigrants right but we are for better or worse we're the children of immigrants and that very much existed in my head for a lot of a lot of times in my life and it continues to to an extent right like i just feel like i everything i do and think about i also got to make sure like all right does this kind of like align with kind of being able to do well by my parents and all that right yeah 
for sure. Yeah. So yeah, we we were talking about kind of the expectations and the weight of that, but uh, I think kind of to pivot here, one of the things that we've both witnessed in our life growing up is for better or worse, gender roles, right? Like the Indian household and our parents is a very patriarchal, patriarchal household. There's defined gender roles. And, uh, you know, tell me about what you saw growing up and kind of how you navigated that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't know if I'd get in trouble for saying this, but, uh, like I think the Indian culture naturally is kind of sexist. Like where, where, uh, for from like what I've grown up with and what I've seen, it's just uh, typically they're they're happy with being a stay-at-home mom. Nothing wrong with being that, but like that's the only option they have. If someone chooses to do so, props to them because that shit's hard. But having been being told like define like how I was doctor engineer or uh, whatever or dentist. Uh, I, I, I don't think if I, if I was a woman, my expectations would have been completely different. And I sure. may be wrong cause I don't know. No, you're right. I may be speaking out of my ass, but, um, I think the cultural pressures are totally different and I don't think it's fair. Um, but luckily in my home, um, it was all boys, right? Yeah. Like all my cousins were boys, my brother. Um, and when it comes to chores and just doing things around the house, um, I, I stayed inside. I helped my mom uh, cleaning the floors, setting up the tables, cleaning, vacuuming the house, dust, like the, the stuff that um, typically a boy wouldn't do in an Indian culture yep. at home. So, um, so I was pretty exposed to that. So I'm, I'm thankful for that because it's been making my married life a lot easier that like I kind of step in. I know that I know to help yeah. where I wasn't conditioned to, to f- eat dinner and just get up and go, go sit on the couch. Like that wasn't my reality um i i stayed in and helped my mom yeah. um so uh I, I think we broke it in a sense in that sense but i can't imagine if i was a girl i always laugh about it with my parents how things would be so different for them or they would have to be different parents if it was a female but yeah uh i think gender roles i think that's how they were defined in uh in our host in our house specifically yeah. uh, but indian culture wise I, th- I definitely think there's a lot of work to be done there yeah i mean for sure like when i growing up right like getting up from the table once you're done and then my mom and my sister would primarily be the ones cleaning up after me like that existed absolutely for a while and that they're like a nascar pit crew bro you get up and like this shit was clean in minutes it was crazy like it'd be done in like 10 15 minutes but like you'd just be chilling on the couch or whatever and then you know i go to like other friends house who are not indian and then I see like it's a uh, family affair, like, you know, dad's cleaning some dishes, like the, everyone's kind of ha- lending a hand. It's not just like one or two people doing it. I'm realizing I'm like, oh, crap, like, you know, this isn't <laughs> that's not the norm here everywhere else. This is just kind of in these Indian households. And same with like when we had guests over, right? Like my sister is the is the female in the family, the young one. So she'd come with like a tray of water for everyone and serve water and Little, little traditions like that, that slowly I started realizing, I'm like, oh, this is just like an Indian male, female gender role that's existed for quite some time. And uh, this is how we grew up. But then fast forwarding to my marriage, right? Like you really start thinking about all of these things as you, you know, inherently as you get married. And for me, I 
these are like learned behaviors for 20 plus years of my life. Like I'm a Gujarati Indian, man. Like, you know, those are just learned behaviors that I grew up by, saw every day. And for me, like it, it, it takes like an active effort to make sure that like, that's not number one, that's not something I want to continue. Right. Like I don't ever want to feel like my wife is there just to like serve me and I'm not lending a hand or helping her in any sense. Like I want to make sure I don't do that. Am I perfect at it? No, not by any means, but like, that's something that I had to like rewire myself and be like, okay, like, no, you're going to like either help make dinner, you know, a couple of days a week, or you're going to help around the house. You're going to do what you can. And you know, it's not going to be like that where you just go sit on the couch watching your like wife, just like slave in the kitchen while you're doing jack shit, <laughs> watching the bulls game or something like that. Like, you know, and I'm guilty of slipping into it once in a while. Right. Like, like I said, I'm unlearning behavior, but it's things that I'm trying to, break the cycle of and that's something that i think um i'm sure a lot of first generation indian americans are realizing like how it was growing up versus how they want it to be moving forward like i know if i if i have a daughter in the future like i don't want her to fall into those gender roles and nor do i want my wife to fall into those gender roles like if she wants to be a working mom for the next 30 years and that's what drives her like great if she wants to be a stay-at-home mom and take care of our kids great but like that's not my decision to make like i just have to like support whatever they want and not have any expectations and i think you know that's just something that is a drastic difference from where we grew up like my mom couldn't work even if she wanted to she in fact started working like three years ago and is so fucking excited about it because it's her first time in her adult life in the late 50s working uh, because she wasn't allowed to being a home a stay-at-home mom besides helping out with my dad's businesses and doing like that but this is like her first independent job finally finally got to, got, got on a w2 huh? yeah yeah so she's got her 401k <laughs> run in better late than never <laughs> maxing out her annual contributions she's got me writing emails to hr <laughs> that's amazing though yeah, yeah. um so I don't know if you have anything more to say on that. Otherwise, you know, last question for you, man. What uh, yeah. What makes you Indian? You know, we talked about how we've kind of found our own path and navigated being first generation, breaking free from certain expectations. But at the end of the day, like you said, we are now leaning into the fact that, yeah, we're Indian, we're first generation, and we, you know, we are that. There's no hiding from it. Yeah. yeah and we're embracing it. What, what do you think makes you Indian? For sure. And I think you, you, you touched on this uh, a little bit ago, but I still go to Swadhyay. Um, and for those of you not familiar, uh, Swadhyay, the definition of the, of the words is self-study. Uh, and, and that's really uh, what I focus on because I know uh, I, I uh, have a different approach when I'm in Swadhyay where it's not like I'm following uh, what they're saying specifically to, it's kind of hard to explain because, um, there's certain things that they do that I don't agree with. Uh, and I kind of have my own take on it, like everything else in my life. Um, but I focus on the fact that, Hey, it's, it's the, what I take out of it and, and what I've grown from it. Um, looking back at my life, if I didn't have so I don't even know if this podcast would be happening, right? Sure. There's a lot of positives that, that Swadhyay has given to me in my life um, that I want to continue it. And like the things that it's really taught me is being grateful. Yep. Uh, and, and that's something I, I for sure want to pass down. So like the, the, the three costs and there are the three times a day where you just kind of be thankful to God. Um, I don't care. Like my wife uh, didn't grow up in the Swadhyay community. She, she is Indian. 
um, but not necessarily uh, as religious of an upbringing as I had. Um, so whenever we eat, I, I, I still do my prayer. Um, I'll say it out loud. I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for us real quick. Give me a second. <laughs> um, but things like things like this is something I, I definitely want to teach. Yeah. Um, that, hey, like when we're eating, when we get food, like we got to be thankful for that. Yeah. In the morning when you wake up and everything you're, everything is healthy and you remember everything else, you got to be thankful for that. Um, so like things like that stuck with me. It's like no matter what phase I was in life, like being grateful was a constant thing. Yeah. Uh, the, that religious aspect of it really helps me tie it with the Indian roots because I'm saying Sanskrit slokes when, I, when I'm praying, right? I'm not saying thank you, Jesus, for the meal that I'm about to eat. There's like, <laughs> there's a prayer, there's a shloka that I'm saying, yeah. which is different. And like, and like the argument I get into with, not an argument, but the discussion I get into with my wife is like, you don't know what you're saying. You're just kind of saying. That's literally what I thought in my head like, when you're saying, when you said Sanskrit, I'm like, you don't even know what you're saying, bro. Yeah, yeah, but I've just been conditioned. But it's like, that's the prayer you're supposed to do when you are when you eat. Um, and there's like an English definition of it. And like, I've read through that multiple times um, and it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, uh, making me Indian, I think Diwali is still a huge, huge aspect of our lives, uh, or my life, um, where we're still with, like getting together with all of our family, all, all of our cousins coming together, uh, going to Gerbas, uh, and then, uh, I think just in general, like being still actively going to Swadia, yep. uh, every Sunday it's on zoom now, uh, <laughs> which I personally I personally love the format. I think it's really, uh, really great. And a little, um, si- I can't imagine a little sidebar: being- they were on VHS tapes until like 2012. So the <laughs> fact that they, the fact that they jumped to Zoom is like mind blowing to me because I, I haven't been there in like two decades almost. But like, <laughs> amazing that they yeah. graduated to VHS from VHS to Zoom. Just an amazing transition. It's- <laughs> It's crazy how the pandemic really accelerated the adoption of technology for us. It's, it's, I, I really love this format. Um, it's super convenient. Um, but yeah, I think things like being actively associating myself and going through the discourses every Sunday yep. uh, just kind of bring me back to my Indian core because I don't really do anything in my day to day that would be like, and aside from my praying three times a day, uh, be be counted as Indian. For sure. Um, for me, you know, I'm not as religious as you. I don't like, I don't pray hardly ever. I say thank yous and express my gratitude for what I have periodically, but I'm not, I'm not religious in the traditional sense. I think for me, the big ones are some of the cultural things that still remain in place to this day. Like, you know, like my wedding, for example, right? like three day four day event very indian like i enjoyed diwali and being able to get together with friends and family and celebrate that um some of the things in my day-to-day life like my wife makes chai frequently and i've now become like it's a comfort food for me uh drinking that chai but i I think the big one for me that really uh makes me indian is kind of the values that i that are instilled in me from my upbringing from my religion from all these traditions and, you know, you touched on gratitude and that's a huge one. The other ones that I think about is what, like, it's the sense of karma, I guess. Um, you know, I often, I believe that, like, the energy you put out into the world is what you get back. If that fits the mold of karma, I don't know if that in the traditional sense does. But along those lines, like, I, I believe in that. So, you know, I, I try to keep that in mind and live my day to day as such, you know, just 
making sure that I'm doing good, being good, and uh, you know, putting out that sort of energy in my life. And the other thing that really, really sticks with me that I think is because I'm Indian and first generation Indian is really this emphasis on like family, um, the responsibility towards our parents, respecting our elders. Like I, I have like elders that, you know, I, I see during family get togethers that we sit down and I don't really agree with their viewpoints on stuff and we'll like respectively talk about it. But, uh, you know, there's a line that I don't cross no matter what they're saying. I don't care if it's very like, uh, if it's very uh, chauvinistic or very patriarchal in nature or whatever. If it's even if it's like things that I don't agree with at all or I think that shouldn't be spoken in a public forum anymore, you know. There's a line I won't cross. I'll express my opinions, obviously, but that's a respect for elders. And then otherwise, you know, really just my family, man, is something I always keep in mind and know that. I can't ever let them down or forget about them. Like I have to make sure that no matter where I go in life, like they are either with me or right there besides me or doing well with me. Like if I do well and they're not, then, you know, none of us are doing well. And that is a shared mentality that I'll always have. But yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add today, Sabrath? Uh, no, man, this was, this was awesome. It, it's fun. Just, I, we've been best friends for most of our lives, yeah. but to hear stories for the first time, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, the conversations we're yet to have. Yeah. I'm very excited by this. There's more to come. We're going to have some good guests and friends on the show. We got, like I said, we got a little laundry list. We're going to try to go by of pay, uh, people we want to get on and kind of have these discussions with. And I think they're just Great discussions, very fun and insightful. So I'm looking forward to more and hopefully you guys are too. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on social media, we got we got a couple things we want to plug here. I'll start with the IG. Our Instagram is at the Raj and Bubs Pod. Again, at the Raj and Bubs Pod. And my our Twitter handle is at Raj and Bubs Pod. Again, that's at Raj and Bubs Pod. So drop us a like, drop us a comment, shout out, shout out whatever you want to us. Ask us any questions. If you hate it, let us know, and we want your feedback. Anything sure. we, anything you want us to talk about, anything that we'd want you want to unpack. Yeah, um, we're all about sharing commonalities here. We want to normalize the differences in all, each of our stories. Yeah. So and what's our website? Something you want to hear? Uh, it's the Raj and Pub Raj dot com. Sweet. Well. We had a blast doing this. This was awesome. Like, you know, this is a great use of my Saturday morning. I'm glad we uh, penciled this in for today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it whenever you're listening to this. Um, I was super pumped. I'm not normally a coffee drinker, but today I woke up and surprised my life. <laughs> it's like I got to get hyped for this. So I drank some coffee and uh, uh, this was awesome. This is a great way to start the, start the weekend. <laughs> spoken into existence. Then I think back like, no, I did it. It was hard work, sacrifice, discipline, commitment, big balls, big falls, bigger ups, good intentions. Take a look in the mirror. I'm proud of who looks back. So I stand tall, lace up my J's, grab my book bag and... Yeah.